Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Clinical Concepts Podcast. It's been a little bit since we got an episode out to you guys. Uh, So for that, I want to say I apologize. I hope everybody is having a good year so far. So the last episode that we pushed out was right around Christmas. And that was on uh, antepartum emergencies, and it was really well viewed. I really appreciate all the support. Uh, I, like I said, I apologize for having not done an episode uh, since then. The whole, really, the first quarter of 2023 has been crazy for me. Uh, pretty much, my whole family had COVID. I had bronchitis for a while, uh, and I had a significantly heavy teaching load uh, at work in our paramedic program. So I do. Sig- uh, sincerely apologize for that. And I wanted to get back into this uh, and today talk about a uh, an important topic. And unfortunately, I'm sort of talking about it at the wrong time. Uh, and that topic is going to be uh, the Massimo RAD57 device. So generally, this is a device that we talk a lot about at the end of the summer or in the early fall as uh, individuals are sort of firing up their furnace for the first time and uh, they have a an increased likelihood of their exposure to carbon monoxide. In the first quarter of 2023 where I work, we have had a significant amount um, of fires and burn patients and not just little burns, but really significant uh, greater than 50% uh, total body surface area burns. And because of that, we've had a lot of carbon monoxide exposure. And I wanted to take a minute and talk about this device. This is de- this is a device that is familiar uh, to most EMS providers, but if you're not, that's okay. Uh, it's it's not really that complicated. the The title of uh, the title of this episode is "Not Your Grandma's Paul Socks" because it does a lot more than that. But it really is generally the same. So we're going to talk about this uh, for a little bit, and let's jump right into it. Uh, also, I should mention that I don't own any, uh, I don't have any financial disclosures to the Massimo device. There are several different ones out there. Uh, this is just the one that my agency uses uh, that we were doing a training monograph on. So let's get into it. So how does this work? So at baseline, we all know that we breathe in oxygen, we exhale carbon dioxide. And that is really sort of like the bare bones, fifth grade, as simple as it gets concept of, of respiration, right? And there's this something, and there's this thing called the uh, oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. And basically what happens is carbon dioxide increases hydrogen ion concentration, and that lowers the pH of tissue. And when this happens, hemoglobin's affinity for oxygen decreases and the oxygen levels go up. So therefore, the uh, tissue oxygenation increases. That's a good thing. When this happens, however, um, this, this, cause, this causes a normal oxyhemoglobin um, dissociation curve that we are familiar with. And when things start to mess with this curve, so... When we have things now that affect the body's ability to breathe in oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide, we can have something called right or left shifting in the curve. And right shifting in the curve, and if you you picture a graph, right shifting in the curve is generally due to reduced oxygen affinity and because of that, decreased oxygen delivery to the tissue. Left shifting occurs when there is increased oxygen affinity and reduced delivery of of oxygen to the tissue. So, as you know, we're talking about carbon monoxide today. And when we talk about carbon monoxide, this is a left shifting mechanism. So, 
so it's important that we that we understand the oxygen uh, oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve really at uh, really at its at its baseline. Certainly, this is not an episode on the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. We could talk about that for a long, long, long time. Uh, if you want to learn more about that, um, there's lots of information on the internet about it. Again, I don't own, uh, I don't have any financial disclosures to any of it. But go check out the boys at Foam Frat. Uh, they have an ox. They have an awesome uh, Tyler Christofoli and Sam Ireland uh, and Brian King have some awesome content on the uh, oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve. So go and check that out. So understanding that sort of at baseline and having those, uh, having those concepts in your head, right? So again, CO2 uh, increases hydrogen ion, which lowers the pH of tissue. And as we have normal respiration practices, the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve is how it should be. As right shifting a curve, uh, right shifting occurs, there's reduced oxygen affinity and therefore increased oxygen delivery to the tissue. And as left shifting occurs, there is increased oxygen affinity and reduced delivery to the tissues. So with that said, what is carbon monoxide? Carbon monoxide is an odorless, colorless, tasteless gas. We've all heard that before. And it happens from the incomplete combustion of fuel. So the best way that I know how to explain it is thinking about um, like when you would start your car in the garage and you sort of have that... um, I don't want to call it musty, but sort of that, um, it's not really a bad smell, but it's just kind of a different smell that happens. That's incomplete combustion. And certainly that's not carbon monoxide because you can't smell it. That's not what you're smelling. But mixed into what you're smelling is carbon monoxide. And carbon monoxide is all around us um, in a lot of different environments, right? If you have a campfire, when you drive your car, et cetera. And at very, very, very low levels, it's generally not a huge deal. But as that level of carbon monoxide increases, the toxicity of that carbon monoxide becomes a problem. And this can lead to lethal poisoning. So what happens? When carbon monoxide uh, enters into the body, it binds to hemoglobin almost 250 times or with 250 times the affinity of oxygen. So it is significantly more bound worthy, if you will, to the hemoglobin. Now remember that oxygen is still there. It's just being overshadowed by the carbon monoxide. So when one molecule of the carbon monoxide binds to the hemoglobin, it shifts the oxyhemoglobin dissociation curve to the left. And this increase in the affinity now even further impairs the release of oxygen to the tissue. So what happens is these patients will will present to you with the normal CO symptoms, right? I'm, I have a headache. I have GI symptoms. I'm nauseated. Fill in the blank, right? Whatever your flavor is. And with that, they will then get evaluated and we'll put them on a pulse ox and we'll do all the normal hemodynamic monitoring things and their numbers will be normal and we'll think, oh, cool, right? Their pulse ox is 100%. But remember, what does a pulse ox measure? It measures the percentage of oxygen bound to hemoglobin. So if the oxygen is still there, but it is overshadowed by the carbon monoxide, 
they're still going to have a normal pulse ox because that's what that device measures. But the pulse ox cannot tell you anything about what's happening with their carbon monoxide. So their carboxyhemoglobin levels could be astronomical, but you wouldn't know that without some kind of CO monitoring device such as the Massimo RAD57. So that's where this comes into play. And having this equipment really can help you with your differential diagnoses. It can help you with your care plan development. It can help you with selecting an appropriate disposition for your patient. So there's a lot of benefits to this. And like I said, there's several different ones on the market. There's these ones that we're talking about here. You can get, uh, for your cardiac monitors, you can get um, pulse, essentially a pulse ox uh, cable that has software built into the sensors that will allow your monitor to give you a uh, pulse oximetry reading and a carboxyhemoglobin reading. So there are several different you know types of options out there. Uh, largely, EMS agencies are buying these um, based upon what works best for their system as well as the price point because they are they are expensive. So this can really help you with your clinical decision making. Do I think that you need to put a RAD57 on every single patient that you take care of? No, probably not. Now, I will tell you that if I had them built into my cardiac monitoring, I might certainly be more inclined to do that. But I don't think that it's something that you have to necessarily implement in every care plan you develop. But I think in the right patient at the right time, it makes a lot of sense. Patients that um, were just exposed, knowingly exposed to some kind of hydrocarbon uh, in a house fire or something like that. Patients that we know um, had exposure in some kind of chemical setting. Firefighters in a firefighter uh, rehabilitation set, uh, setting, we might be able to successfully implement it. So I certainly think it has its place. I don't think its place is every call that we go on or every patient that we take care of, but I certainly think it has its role. So understanding what you're looking at. So these um, these devices do do either one or two things or both. They do they do carboxyhemoglobin monitoring, which is the percentage of hemoglobin bound to carbon monoxide. They do methemoglobin monitoring, which is the percentage of hemoglobin that is methemoglobin. Right, makes sense. Um, and depending upon the device you get, sort of depends upon what you are able to monitor. The device that our service has just does carboxyhemoglobin monitoring. So that is measured in a percentage, and that percentage is generally somewhere um, between like 0 and 40 or 0 and 50%. Kind of depends on the literature that you read. So 0 to 5% is the first category, and this is this is generally where most people live all the time. If you're not a if you are a relatively healthy, non-smoking individual, you're going to live somewhere in this range. And that is honestly just because, like I said, you're always exposed to a little bit of it. And if you have, if you have um, somebody that has you know, greater than 3% um, carboxyhemoglobin with symptoms, certainly don't be afraid to give them high flow oxygen. Not a big deal. Uh, if they're asymptomatic, I'm not sure that we have to do anything for them, right? I think that that's pretty normal. A 5 to 10% carboxyhemoglobin is normal in smokers, right? When they're smoking cigarettes, marijuana, whatever it is that they smoke, they're inhaling toxinogens all the time, and those naturally carry carbon monoxide. So if we have the patient, you know, that we are putting on carboxyhemoglobin that we know is a two-pack-a-cigarette-a-day smoker, 
that wouldn't be so alarming to me. However, the person who tells you that they're dizzy and just came out of their house in December, that would be more alarming to me, and that would make um, that would make uh, certainly certainly the um, sorry, I just like had a total brain fart. That would certainly make the transportation um, and treatment of this a little bit easier. So have to take that five to ten percent range in um, into consideration. As we approach the 10 to 15% range, this is abnormal for any patient. And this is really where you're going to start to see them become symptomatic. This is where you're going to see patients that have the dizziness, the GI symptoms, uh, the the textbook, um, maybe the textbook cherry red appearance. So this is how you're going to uh, see those patients. And we need to make sure that we're you know, significantly oxygenating them and getting them to the appropriate disposition. When we get into the 15% and greater range, this is really where we get into significantly abnormal. These patients are often acutely ill, at times might require airway management and positive pressure, even on top of your um, oxygen therapy that we already spoke about. And these are patients that sometime pre- sometimes present um, really with symptoms that uh, could require transport to hyperbaric oxygen. So, so it is important that you know where your hyperbaric oxygen facilities are um, in Western Pennsylvania. Uh, we have several, but certainly around the country, uh, you need to make sure who has those capabilities and evaluate your um, evaluate your ability to get these patients to those facilities in an expeditious manner. Again, also remember um, that any patient that is pregnant with carbon monoxide exposure should really be transported somewhere that has hyperbaric oxygen uh, ability. Uh, just when we get into um, maternal fetal hemoglobin, um, that's that's a whole different uh, that's a whole different animal. So make sure that we uh, are transporting those patients to the appropriate location as well. So how do you use the device? If you're looking at the device, it really just kind of looks like a pulse ox on steroids. So you turn the, uh, you press the green power button and you turn it on. And when you turn it on, it'll run a self-check. So one of the cool things about the uh, the Rad 57 by Massimo is that it doesn't require uh, any kind of external calibration. It does its own internal calibrations and its own self-checks. You'll have some sort of like scratch, uh, flashing icons on the screen that move, acro- move across. And that's just an indicator that this check is happening. And it can take about 15 seconds for that to happen. So be patient. Uh, once that's done, the calibration is complete and it's okay. Um, it's okay now to get the patient uh, on the device. So it'll say send off. So sensor off on the disc- on the screen. That's how you know it's ready. And now we can place the screen uh, or pl- place, uh, place the probe. I can't talk uh, on the patient. So how do we do this? These devices either come with a rubber probe cover or a um, little tiny bag looking um probe cover. It kind of looks like a barrel bag for a paintball gun, uh, if you've ever seen one of those, uh, that goes over the sensor. So if you have the rubber sensor, what you're going to do is you're going to put the whole probe inside uh, inside the rubber uh, sensor cover. And then you're going to put the patient's finger in, in the probe, just like you would a pulse ox. If you have the bag. You're going to put the patient's finger in the in the probe, and then and then put the bag over the whole sensor. And there's a little Velcro strap uh, that holds it in place. Regardless of what you use, if you don't have a cover, you could just put the put the whole probe under a like a thicker blanket. That's perfectly acceptable. Um, I, I think that 
I think that it's really important to to remember this. So the the Rad 57s use about seven wavelengths of light uh, to create these readings, which is more than a pulse ox, and are very, very sensitive to other forms of ambient light. So if you are in a bright environment, if you're outside, if you're at a scene where there's lots of strobe lights and things like that, this can become really um, this can become really impeding on your device's ability to give you good readings. So it is important that we get them covered. So when you're going you're gonna to get them covered, you put the patient's finger in up to the digit stop and, and remember that the top side of the probe should be the wire running around across the anterior, I'm sorry, the posterior aspect of the patient's hand. So get those in place. And they recommend using the ring finger on the patient's non-dominant hand to do that. And once it's in, the device will then um, begin to have rolling zeros across the screen. And this is just the device's way of telling you that it's analyzing. In a couple seconds, you'll see the patient's pulse oximetry level in red uh, coloring on the top screen and the patient's heart rate in green coloring on the bottom screen. So you can get those initial readings, which is good because it's always good to have a baseline. And then if you click the uh, display button, it will then kick the, pul- uh, kick the RAD57 into carboxyhemoglobin mode. So when you click that button, it will then put the device into carboxyhemoglobin mode. You'll get rolling zeros again across the screen. This can take up to a minute to happen. And then you'll have the number on the top screen in orange, which will be the patient's carboxyhemoglobin level. And then on the bottom screen, it will just say CO. So you'll get your readings there. If you have one of the devices that also does met hemoglobin, uh, you will have the SP met on the bottom screen. So understanding the device you have um, is really important. Just a couple things of note here. Um, on the device, though, you'll see a, a SIQ meter. This is a measure of signal strength from the probe to the device. So if you have a low SIQ, you probably have poor probe placement, so you might need to adjust your probe. The manufacturers recommend taking the probe totally off and then putting it back on to fix it. Likewise, you will also have a perfusion index uh, monitor on the opposite side, uh, opposite side of the device, and this tells you the perfusion of the digit that's inside the probe. So, if you have a higher PI index, this will then um, give you more accurate readings. So, we certainly want somebody who has a warm, well-perfused digit in that probe. And these are great. You can have continuous monitoring, and you'll be able to see that your therapy with these on, so like a pulse ox on one hand and a uh, RAD57 on the other, this will, this will then give you the ability to trend your, uh, trend your care so you can see how effective it is. That way we know if we need to make changes um, or adjust things up or down. The other thing uh, to make note of is these devices are pretty accurate. The manufacturer rec- states that... Um, the RAD57, I'm going to just read this verbatim, the RAD57 is plus or minus 3% at one standard deviation, as long as the uh, carboxyhemoglobin range is 1% to 40%. So what that means is, if they drew a blood gas, and we looked at a carboxyhemoglobin in a blood gas, we would see that it's 3%, it's within 3% of the blood gas reading 68% of the time, and it's within 6%. 95% of the time. And that's a pretty good, that's a pretty good um, you know, confidence interval, if you will, because 6%, like if you're that sick, 
we're not going to split hairs over 6%. You know, 6%, I don't think, is going to make the difference in hyperbaric or not. I'm not sure it's going to make the difference in oxygen or not. We always teach, you know, treat the patient, not the monitor, and that's really important. But I think that what it goes to tell you is that this, these devices really can help you sometimes see patients that aren't sick. So, or don't appear sick, I guess I should say. So, that's my quick rundown on the Rad 57. It, I know that um, I know that it's sort of down and dirty, and it's quick and it's easy. But I think that it's a really good thing to review because it's one of those tools that we don't use a lot, and we don't often have a mental model built for. And then when somebody pulls it out and you need to use it, it's imperative that you have the mental models in place to be able to not only use the device, but understand what you're reading. So as always, if you have any questions, if you want to talk more, don't hesitate to reach out at clinicalconceptspodcast at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Instagram. And until next time, stay safe and do good care. 